what difference does it make? And that's the real challenge, I think, of the Gospel of John. It's, it's one that comes to us as much as to those for whom it was first written. Um, and as I said, I, I think the Gospel of John is one that is attempting to keep us in faith and say to us, are we brave enough, having declared ourselves in God's camp and being on the Lord's side and belonging to the Lord, does it really have the impact on us that it should? Are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ ones that are changing us and readying us for the coming of the King? So what difference does it make to us as believers? Because knowing the stories doesn't necessarily mean that it changes us. And, and that's really what John is after. Um, because if you remember John chapter 20, our key verse, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. So this is really about our lives. Um, this is about people not really getting who Jesus is, not really accepting Jesus, not really accepting the challenge that is laid down by his words and not fundamentally believing that actually his words should make a difference. And yet the gospel presents us with a number of examples, some of which we've looked at already, um, of individuals who are being transformed or are changed by an interaction with the Lord Jesus Christ because they are willing to accept his word and accept who he is and accept the uh, implication of who he is. Uh, the Jews are represented in this gospel as the ones who are the unwilling unbelievers. Uh, and yet there are um, individuals that um, we are introduced to and um, who we, we share um, time with in this gospel, um, who we get to know, who are changed, who are transformed. Um, and the Gospel of John really is saying, are we? Are you? And what I'd like us to do in this session is very briefly look at um, just four individuals um, quickly um, who are presented to us as uh, important examples. Um, the concept, uh, before we go on to those, of um, life. Um, life is a very important word in the Gospel of John. And again, it, it's highlighted for us by that key verse in John 20. It comes some 36 times, um, this word zoe, um, which is the Greek word, or zoe. Um, and it's a spiritual quality of life um, that the, the Gospel of John is talking about. And it's really epitomised for us um, in one of the references to Jesus as the Christ in John chapter 17. And I'd just like us to, to look at that um, before we look at these examples. John chapter 17. Um, and this is the moment at which Jesus says, actually, I've been waiting all this time and now the hour is come. Now is the time for him to do what he needed to do. Um, now is the time for him to be glorified in the things that he was doing. Um, these words, uh, John 17, verse one, these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give 
eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. So the eternal life that the Lord Jesus Christ brings is for the benefit of those who will believe. And what is it? And this is life eternal. This is what life is truly about, a spiritual quality of life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. So, so this is the Gospel of John, that we might know the living God, represented to us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and that believing that that is who he is, we might have lives that are transformed into lives of spiritual quality, uh, lives that are about being on the Lord's side. In identity politics terms, it's about belonging to God uh, and being God's people. And that's the, the, the challenge that comes to us. So then, who are these individuals? Um, well, we've, we've already met one of them um, in the person of Nicodemus. Um, John, John chapter 3. Uh, and the, the four people that we're going to meet are, are quite different characters. Um, and they represent, again, uh, the broad swathe of those for whom the, the Lord Jesus Christ uh, will appeal. Um, and we are very different as individuals. We're not one uh, amorphous whole. Uh, we come as different characters to meet with the Lord Jesus and uh, we, we respond to him in slightly different ways. And, and that's OK. And that's what the gospel is, is, is informing us. Actually, it doesn't matter who you are. The Lord Jesus Christ can have an impact on you as an individual. And again, the, the first two are two of the people that we looked at in the in the first session. Uh, and the first is Nicodemus. Nicodemus here is a clever man. Um, he is a theologian. He is, we've already said, he is the teacher of Israel. He is a master. He is an important man. He's an intellectual. He's a thinker. He's a questioner. He's somebody that actually is thinking about what is going on. Uh, and it's interesting that it's only the Gospel of John that introduces us to Nicodemus. And what we find in the Gospel of John is Nicodemus is presented to us as somebody who takes his time to really mull over and give consideration to what is happening around him. We've already met him in chapter three as somebody that at this point, at least, um, is willing to go so far and yet not quite far enough. Um, and, and it would be a disappointing story, I think, um, and we would think very differently of Nicodemus if, if it were just this chapter. We would think, oh, he's a ruler of the Jews and he is a man who is against Jesus. He's unwilling to accept. And yes, that is the point that he's at in chapter three. He, he knows, um, along with others, that he's a man uh, come from God. He's a teacher come from God because actually that's the obvious thing to think. But he hasn't taken the next step uh, and he hasn't got to a point where he is willing to accept. He, he knows these things, but they are not making a difference to him. And, and it's an interesting point that actually we go come away from chapter three, not really knowing what Nicodemus makes of it. And it sort of leaves us with Nicodemus being told by Jesus, well, you're not really getting it, are you? You're not really understanding it. Um, if I talk to you about earthly things and you don't believe, how are you going to cope with heavenly things? How are you going to believe more important things than these? Now, the, the, the beauty of the Gospel of John is it doesn't just leave us there with Nicodemus. We meet Nicodemus three times. And what we see in these three very brief encounters with him is a development of a disciple who is giving genuine thought and consideration 
to the impact that actually meeting with the Lord Jesus Christ should have on us. Uh, and, and, and it's a challenge to us, I think, that actually this is what we need to do ourselves. We need to give deep consideration, long, thoughtful, uh, prayerful consideration to who the Lord Jesus Christ is and what difference it makes to us. Because the next time we meet Nicodemus is in chapter seven. And chapter seven is a, a chapter that um, is full of turmoil in Jerusalem. Um, it's the Feast of Tabernacles. It's 18 months on from the healing in chapter five. Jesus hasn't been in Jerusalem um, during those 18 months. Um, and the people are wondering whether he's going to pitch up for this uh, Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, and Jesus lets his disciples go to Jerusalem without him. Uh, and then in the middle of the feast, he suddenly arrives and, and people are saying, well, where is he? Where is he? Um, and the Jews are seeking for him to say, where, where is Jesus? Uh, and there's much murmuring in chapter seven. Um, and and ch John chapter seven really presents a city um, where Jesus is the topic of conversation. He is at the, the, the heart and he is the focus of um, people's discussions. Who is he? Where is he? What do you think about the Lord Jesus? What do you think about this man? Um, you get an example. We'll just have a look at a couple of examples from John chapter seven before we meet Nicodemus again. Um, verse 12 of John chapter seven. There was much murmuring among the people concerning him. For some people said he's a good man. Others said, no, he's he's a deceiver. He deceives the people. But everybody was talking about it uh, in cl behind closed doors because everybody feared the Jews. Albeit no man spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. Uh, verse 25, um, Jesus has appeared and starts to teach. And then some of them of Jerusalem, is not this he whom they seek to kill? Isn't, isn't this the guy that actually for the last 18 months have been talking about getting rid of? Um, but lo, he speaketh. Suddenly he's, he's appeared in the temple and, and he's boldly teaching. And they say nothing to him. It, it can't be him. Is it him? Who is this guy? Do the rulers know indeed that this is the very Christ? So this was the talk of the town. Is Jesus the Christ? Is he the Messiah? Uh, and, and this was the question on people's people's minds. Uh, verse 31, many of the people believed on him and said, when Christ cometh, will he do more miracles than these which this man hath done? Uh, and, and then in verse 40, many of the people, therefore, when they heard of this saying, said, of a truth, this is the prophet. Oh, yeah, we're willing to go so far. We're willing to say this is the prophet like unto Moses. But others said this is the Christ. So that, again, there is this debate. How do you identify Jesus? Who is this man? Um, what, what do we make of him? What do we make of what he's doing? But others doubted. Some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? It can't be him. It, it really can't. Um, so there's a division in verse 43. And in the middle of this division, this, this city of turmoil, of, of questioning who Jesus is, we meet Nicodemus again. Uh, and the Jews um, are shown to be against him. The Pharisees, again, um, send people to go and arrest him. And rather comedically, the, the, the men who are sent to arrest him stand and listen to Jesus. And they're so impressed, come back and forget to actually do the job that they were sent to do. Um, and sort of think, well, we can't do this because this is, is quite impressive. Um, and the Pharisees say, um, have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed on him in verse 48? This people who knoweth not the law are cursed. And it's at this point that Nicodemus steps in. Nicodemus saith unto them, 
says, says to the, the Pharisees who are questioning, he that came to Jesus by night being one of them, just in case we were in any doubt, doth our Lord judge any man before it hear him and know what he doeth? And they answered and said unto him, art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. So Nicodemus has moved on. He, he's listened to the discussion. He's given it thought. Let's, let's hear him out. Let's listen to the words that he's saying. Let's look at the things that he's doing. And Nicodemus has moved on now from hiding away in the nighttime to actually openly saying, actually, we need to give this man a fair hearing. We need all to think about it. Um, and he's obviously doing his thinking and um, we're a number of years on. So actually it's taken a couple of years for Nicodemus to get to this point. And again, it would be uh, an incomplete story if we didn't have uh, the conclusion of where we get to with Nicodemus in John chapter 19. Um, John chapter 19, uh, and it is in um, association with Joseph of Arimathea, who is a disciple of Jesus. But again, this is John chapter 19, verse 38, um, but secretly for fear of the Jews. Um, he beseeches Pilate for the body of Jesus and Pilate gives him. And then we meet Nicodemus. Nicodemus now has done his thinking. He has said, I know who this man is. And it is making a difference to who I am and how I respond. Now, Nicodemus is willing to defile himself with a dead body. He is willing to put himself out for the Lord Jesus Christ. And there came also, verse 39, Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night, as if the gospel is saying to us, he was hidden away, but now he has declared his hand. He is now an active disciple. He's done his thinking. He's really given it thought. And what difference does it make to know who the Lord Jesus Christ is? It means he wants to be associated with the death of his Lord. He is now an active disciple coming to assist and to help. And he brings a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. They take the body of Jesus and they place it in the sepulchre. So we get this picture of a man who has done a lot of thinking. But that thinking leads him to become an active disciple. And this is the transforming effect that the Lord Jesus Christ can and should have on us. And the Gospel of John presents this to us. OK, let's, let's go. Let's go back in time again, back to chapter four, to the, the woman at the well. And, and again, we've we've looked at her interaction very briefly with the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, a very different character, a woman, a Gentile, um, Somebody unexpected that you would think not a very important person. And yet Jesus spends the time to discuss with her and to share with her who he is. Uh, she'd gone part of the way, as we saw. She'd say, well, is Messiah going to do more miracles? Is, what's he going to be? Well, I'm him. What do you make of it? Uh, and she listens to the Lord Jesus Christ. She questions him. She is willing to take the time to say, well, you've got something to say. You've got something to offer. You've offered living water. Um, and, and that's the, the key to the gospel, isn't it? That we might have life through his name. And, and as we saw, she leaves her water pot for the natural water and is willing to accept the living water that will bring everlasting life. And she is willing to declare that this is the Christ. Now, 
she doesn't just leave it there. And she could well have done and said, well, I found Messiah. Isn't that great for me? Aren't I the lucky one? I seem, I've had an interaction with the Lord Jesus Christ and I, I've benefited. But no, she doesn't do that. She doesn't keep the message of the Lord Jesus Christ to herself. She doesn't hog it and say, this, this, is, this is something important for me. She actually shares it. She shares the excitement of meeting the Son of God, meeting the Christ with as many people as she can. And she goes and she doesn't just tell one or two. It's basically the entire city that comes. Now, many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him, as we've already seen in verse 39 of chapter four, for the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that ever I did. So it's the word of this woman, the, the testimony of this woman, this willingness to go out and share what she had learned with others. And that in itself is a, is a powerful lesson, I think, that actually meeting the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, accepting that he is the son of God should have this impact on us. It should have that impact that our enthusiasm for our association with him needs to be shared. It isn't something that we just keep to ourselves. It actually has an impact on us so that we wish to share it. So the woman at the well, a most unlikely person, actually is responsible for some amazing preaching work that uh, lays the foundation for work that is to come. And it's interesting at the beginning of chapter four, isn't it, that, that Jesus, it specifically says of Jesus that he must needs go through Samaria. He had to do it. And the reason was, I think, that he had to meet this woman um, he, he, he had to meet this woman in order that she could share it so that the, the word could go from her and the Samaritans might believe. And that actually goes beyond that. Um, Jesus' um, Jesus's own preaching is picked up by, by Philip in, um, in, in Acts, chapter, Acts chapter 8. And Philip goes to Samaria. And the seed that is sown by the Lord Jesus Christ to this individual woman that she then shares with others is then the beginning of a harvest that is reaped by the apostles in the Acts. So this one woman has a powerful impact on the lives of many. And again, that's what the gospel is saying to us. As believers, our individual lives that we live can be transformed and our lives can transform the lives of others if we're willing to share our knowledge of Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. Because knowing who he is makes a difference to us and makes a difference to those around us if we are willing to share it. OK, so that's our second uh, individual whose life is transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's have a look at um, our today's reading um, that we had um, as a reading. Um, John chapter nine and the man born blind. And again, um, Jesus is is really um, challenging people by um, healing again on the Sabbath. Here is a man who is representative of the nation as a whole. Um, this is a man who represents the blindness of the Jews, which is what he goes on to say the lesson is, and they, they realise, um, are, are we blind also? So this man is representative of those who cannot see. And Jesus comes to him and says, I am able to heal. I am able to make whole. And it will make a difference if you interact with me. 
And the man is a, a staunch defender of the Lord Jesus Christ, even in the face of opposition. And I think this, this is the lesson that we learn from the man born blind. He has an interaction with the Lord Jesus Christ. He is um, made to see by a healing act of the Lord Jesus Christ. His eyes are opened by meeting Jesus and he is willing to defend the Lord Jesus Christ in the face of quite brutal opposition, uh, opposition that others were scared of. Um, um, we realised that uh, most people feared the Jews because of what they'd said about the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 22, his parents themselves said, well, yeah, this is the guy that you're wanting to talk to, but talk to him because actually they were scared. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. So they knew this and most other people did. Uh, and we saw that in chapter seven. The, the people were fearful of speaking openly about what they believed of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet this man, even before he's committed himself as a disciple, is willing to defend the Lord Jesus Christ because of what he has done. Because of the healing work that the Lord Jesus Christ has done. And, and in the face of the, the leadership of the, the nation, he is willing to stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ and say, well, Look what he did. Look what he's done. And they ask his opinion. Um, here is an amazing thing and a marvellous thing. Verse 30, that you know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. Just look what he's done. Look at the transforming effect that he has had on my life. I was born blind. I, I could see nothing. There was no light in my life. And yet now the Lord Jesus Christ has come along and he has transformed my life and you are unwilling to accept it and, and there are these little um, almost sidelong um, exhortations to us as readers and to the individuals who read it first to say well what are we making of this are we in the position of the jews where we are unwilling to accept who jesus is this is a heavenly man this is a man who has come from god since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They answered and said unto him, thou wast altogether born in sins and dost thou teach us? They, they resort to insult and the consequence is they cast him out. And it's when the man is cast out that the Lord Jesus Christ goes and finds him. And again, this becomes almost a parable of, of discipleship. It's at the point where we feel cast out because of our support of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the Lord comes to us and challenges once again, do you believe in the, on the Son of God? Or some of the modern versions say on the Son of Man. Do, do you believe? It takes us back to John chapter 20. Do you believe? Do you continue to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? And does it make a difference? And the man wants to identify who this son of God is. Again, it's a, it becomes about identity. Verse 36, the man answers, who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus says to him, thou hast both seen him and it is he that talketh with thee. And there's this moment of realisation on the part of the man that here before him stands the Christ, the son of God. And he worships him. 
Lord, I believe. So again, this man born blind who starts his life blind, is healed and sees, is transformed into somebody that recognises the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and worships him and believes. Okay, so those, those three providers with examples. Um, there's one more, uh, and that is the Apostle Peter. And all of the Gospels, I think, Matthew in particular, but also particularly John, pick on uh, the Apostle Peter as um, a typical disciple. Um, a disciple like us, a disciple like um, those who were reading for the first time. Not a perfect man, but one who had a great commitment to the Lord. Um, a disciple who wanted to be courageous, who wanted to be brave to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, but had his moments of weakness. And I, and I think the Gospel of John presents Peter to us in this dual aspect of both a disciple of great certainty, a disciple who knew who Jesus was in his heart of hearts. He knew it. He was willing to accept it. He was willing to declare it. He was willing to say, yes, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And that's what we saw in John chapter six. Where else do we go? You've got the words of eternal life. Peter represents the disciple who is willing to stand there and, and declare John chapter 20, verse 31. Yes, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God. But actually, what transforming effect did it have on Peter? Because Peter was also willing to deny his Lord. So that declaration of certainty in John chapter six, you are the Christ, which epitomizes the gospel, was made by Peter. Peter was definite. Um, well, you'll never wash my feet in John chapter 13. And Jesus says, well, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. Who do you belong to, Peter? And Peter is all in. He says, well, don't just wash my feet, wash all of me. I want to be completely committed to you. I will lay down my life for you. That, that's how certain the Apostle Peter was about his commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that can be us, can't it? We are disciples who have declared that we want to be on the Lord's side. We want to be disciples of the Lord. We want to have life in his name. We want to come to know God and come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, who he has sent. And, and this is what our lives are about. We are wanting to accept the offer of living water. And we are certain that that is who we want to be. And yet he is presented to us as a denier of the Lord Jesus Christ in uh, in the gospel, Peter denies the Lord Jesus Christ three times. I never knew him. I don't know him. I'm not one of them. I don't fit into the group that you're trying to put me in. Uh, I'm, I'm not one of his disciples. And there are moments, aren't there, that we can have where we too are guilty of these kind of moments of lack of courage. And this is what the gospel of John is trying to get us to realise that actually we can be as definite as we like, but we will have moments of failure. We cannot do it by ourselves. We have to have the Lord Jesus Christ with us. Peter not only declares absolute certainty in his Lord as Christ, 
but he is shown to us as being one who declares a level of uncertainty in himself. We come um, then to the final challenge, I think, of, of the gospel, um, which is what I call the enigma of chapter 21. Um, chapter 20, um, the last two verses, I think, and I've tried to suggest, and you've probably accepted that already, um, that the last couple of verses really form the end of the gospel. Now, I don't know whether you remember the slide that I showed you with the flow of the gospel. I labelled chapter 21 as an epilogue. Uh, and I think the gospel proper finishes in uh, the last two verses of John chapter 20. Uh, and I think chapter 21 is appended for us as a last lesson in understanding what the impact of identifying Jesus correctly is all about. It, it, so John takes us right from the beginning where the word is made flesh through this series of meeting characters who are trying to identify the Lord Jesus Christ, seeing the discussions that are going on about who he is and getting to a point at the end of chapter 20 where he summarises for us who the Lord Jesus Christ is and what, what, what this gospel is all about. Um, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. And chapter 21 really sits as a final challenge, I think, to us as individual readers of the gospel to say, well, what about us? Where do we sit? Uh, and it uses the example of Peter um, to really challenge us. Um, John chapter 21, you might be there already, but if you're not, let's have a look at John chapter 21. And, and we meet the disciples who have uh, gone fishing. Um, uh, so the, Peter says, I go a fishing in, in verse in verse three. Uh, and Jesus appears to them uh, as they're in the boat. And there's this miraculous um, uh, catch of catch of fish. Uh, and, and they realize who it is. Jesus says to them, bring of the fish which you have caught. Simon Peter, verse 11, went up and drew the net to, fill, to the land full of great fishes, 153. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, come and dine. And it's interesting um, that the Gospel of John throws in this, this question. And again, it's another question of identity. Um, none of them, none of the disciples durst ask him. None of them dared ask him, who art thou? And it's a strange thing to say, a strange thing to, to record. None of them dared ask him, who are you? They didn't need to. By this point, they knew who he was. And that's what we're told. Knowing it was the Lord. It was the Lord. This was recognition on their part of who Jesus was. They had identified Jesus already. They knew who he was. And they come and they break bread. And, and the challenge at the end of the chapter um, mirrors the denial of Peter. The three feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep mirrors the denial by Peter of, uh, of, of the Lord. And Jesus is, is mirroring that and, and challenging Peter to actually make a difference. OK, so so take your knowledge of me and make a difference. Now, you, you may be familiar with, with all of that, but what the gospel doesn't do um, is finish the set of threes. Um, we've, we've already had Peter denial three times. We're familiar with that. 
deny, deny, deny. And Jesus here in chapter 21 says, feed, feed, feed. Now you would anticipate that Jesus would use another three. And, and it's almost as if the gospel is left on a cliffhanger. Um, because actually what Jesus does is he challenges people to follow him. And he does it not once, not three times, but only twice. And it's interesting. In verse 19, um, he, he says, when he'd spoken this, he said unto them, unto him, follow me. Peter, turning about, sees the disciple who Jesus loved following, also leaned on his breast at supper and said, which is he that betrayeth thee. Peter, seeing him, saith unto Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? What, what about this man? And Jesus says, well, it's not about somebody else. Don't look at other disciples and say, well, what's going to happen to them? The challenge of meeting me and knowing me is what are you going to do? Um, Jesus saith unto him, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is there that to thee? Follow thou me. So the, the challenge to the individual disciple is to follow. But it happens twice. And it's almost as if the, the, the gospel is leaving it on a cliffhanger and saying, well, what about you as the individual reader? You know what this gospel has been all about. Identify Jesus. We've got disciples here who know the, that it's the Lord. What about you? Don't point the finger at other people. Then this saying goes abroad uh, about John. Uh, verse 24. This is the disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And it reiterates the, the, the end of chapter 20, there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. There isn't a, a library in the world that could contain all of the things that Jesus did. But that's not the point of the gospel. The point of the gospel is saying, what difference does it make to you as an individual? Follow thou me. Are you going to do that? Are we going to do that together? Are we going to share the gospel message? Are we going to be disciples who are courageous and brave to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, to identify him as the Christ, the Son of God? And then having identified him, let that knowledge, let that life of the Lord Jesus Christ make a difference to us, because this is life eternal, to know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. So I'm going to leave it there. Hopefully it's left you with some food for thought as you read through the rest of the Gospel of John, um, identifying Jesus. Can we do it? And what difference does it make? Um, just a couple of comments about the title. Uh, yeah, it does sound like a quite a highfalutin title, but it, it's um, it's one to grab the attention more than anything else. Um, just a couple of comments about the uh, the title. Um, it's not intended that I will deal with the entirety of the Gospel of John. This is more of a uh, an overview um, and maybe a new look at uh, the Gospel of John. Um, the idea behind it is to really to raise opportunities to see new things, um, and the Gospel of John always affords opportunity to see 
new things in it every time you read it. It's perhaps uh, would have been better if we could have had this talk uh, maybe a week ago when we started reading through the Gospel of John uh, in the daily readings, but we're halfway through it. Um, and so hopefully, hopefully you will find some, some benefit um, as we complete uh, the Gospel of John in, in the daily readings. Um, the second thing about it is I'm not expecting you to agree with everything that, that I say, but uh, if, it's, uh, if it makes you think, uh, then I'm doing my job. Uh, the second comment about the title is the, the phrase identity politics. Um, now, it's a fairly modern uh, concept or modern term, um, and, and I'm not one for sort of uh, applying modern concepts to uh, the, the scriptures, and, but, but um, it actually isn't new. Um, there's nothing new under the sun. Um, well, what are identity politics? Well, basically, in modern terms, identity politics is um, who you are. Um, where do you fit? And particularly, fundamentally, which group do you belong to? Um, in modern terms, it's often put in terms of uh, gender or sexuality or race or political persuasion. Um, and we get labelled and put in boxes um, to determine who we are. Um, so we are identified by our characteristics. Um, for example, I am a Christian, white, Anglo-Saxon male with no particular um, political affiliation. And that puts me in a box uh, and it puts me in a group to which I am deemed to belong. But when we come to the scriptures and when we come to biblical teaching, the real challenge for us is, are we in the correct group? Do we belong to the correct group? Are we in Old Testament terms in God's camp or are we outside of God's camp? Are we on the Lord's side or are we against the Lord? Do we belong to the Lord or do we belong to something else? Um, and it, it's a fancy way of really introducing the idea that I think the Gospel of John is all about identity. And I think identity is at the heart of this gospel. And this is how our, our theme is split. And our two talks, uh, the first one, identifying Jesus, is a real key to understanding the, what the Gospel of John uh, really is. Uh, and all the way through the Gospel of John, there is this challenge to, um, that, that John takes us on to say, are we identifying Jesus correctly? Um, who is he? Um, and each of the, the, the characters that we meet really has this challenge before them to say, do you understand who Jesus is? Can you identify him? And then for us as the readers, are we identifying him correctly? Because the gospel itself has a very firm view as to who uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is. Um, and we'll come on to that in just a moment. So that's the first, the first talk. Can we identify Jesus? Are we identifying him correctly, says the gospel? Uh, and then the second part uh, that we'll move on to in our second talk is really... Uh, what difference does it make if we are identifying Jesus and we've got it right? What difference does it make to us as individual disciples? Do we have the courage to take hold of how we've identified Jesus and let it make a difference to us? Um, the key to the gospel um, is found in John chapter 20. Um, and you're, you're probably familiar with this, but I think this uh, verse in John chapter 20, which, which almost seems like um, a conclusion, uh, John chapter 20 and verse um, 30 and 31. 
um, we get what seems to be um, the conclusion to the gospel. Um, and it begs the question, what, what about chapter 21? But we'll come on to chapter 21 and what that actually is about and why it is where it is at the end. But really, John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31 um, highlight what the gospel is about. Many of the signs truly, this is John 20, verse uh, 30, Many of the signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. So John is highly selective and, and it begs the question, why is John different? And I'll come on to that in a moment. So there are lots of things that are not written in this book, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. So the gospel shows us very clearly uh, tells us very clearly what the gospel is and, and, and who the Lord Jesus Christ is. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah, as we saw in chapter one. He is the son of God. The gospel very firmly tells us who he is. So that's the first part. Are we identifying Jesus as the Christ, the son of God? And then the second part, having identified him, what difference does it make? That believing you might have life through his name. And those really are our two divisions for our two talks. Um, and, and really, that's what the gospel does and challenges us with. Are we identifying Jesus as the Christ? Are the people who we meet throughout the gospel doing that? Are they believing that? Are they understanding that he is the son of God? And then what difference to their lives does that understanding make? Now, I ask the question, why is the Gospel of John different? And it's one of those um, uh, perennial questions that people have. It is very different from the, the other Gospels. And I'm going to suggest to you that actually this is written uh, not in order to uh, persuade people about uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, but to convert people. This, I believe, is written to uh, people who have already accepted the Lord Jesus Christ uh, and, and the challenge that John is laying down, as opposed to Matthew, Mark and Luke, which is telling the story, John assumes that the story is known and is saying, well, have you actually got it correct? Are you actually understanding the power of this individual man, the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of God? Have you actually grasped hold of that as a believer? And what difference does it make to you as an individual? And I think that the, the Gospel of John is written to believers to convert them in the truest sense, not from a state of unbelief, but from a, a state of knowing the truth and being converted to understand that actually it needs to have an impact on us. And I think that's where the difference for the Gospel of John actually lies. It is a gospel to convert believers and to challenge them and say, well, are you like the Jews who knew who Jesus was in their heart of hearts, but were unwilling to accept the implication of it? Or are we like true disciples, brave, courageous disciples that will allow it to change us? Now, you might disagree with that and you may have views, your own views, and I'm sure you will, as to why the, the gospel um, is, is, is as different as it is. But this key verse in John chapter 20, verse 31, I think provides us with that key to understand that actually this is about believing that Jesus is the Christ. Now, some of the modern versions actually say um, that we should continue to believe. And there is a sense in which this belief is not one from, from unbelief, but a continuance in a belief that Jesus is the Christ, 
the Son of God. Okay, so that's that's the key. Now you may have your own view as to um, how the how the gospel flows, but I think it's just useful for us just to remind ourselves um, how the gospel uh, sits, uh, particularly in relation to finding out who Jesus is. Um, in chapters one and two, we're really introduced to Jesus. So if you go back to uh, math, uh, sorry, John chapters, uh, John chapter one. We're introduced immediately to this idea of identity. Um, we get this, this wonderful prologue uh, running from, uh, from the beginning of the chapter, um, culminating in, in verse 14, where we are introduced to the idea that the, the word that has been spoken about in the beginning of the chapter is made flesh and dwells among us. Now, it's an interesting exercise, and it's one that I, um, I do when I uh, have talked about this with people in person. I've actually got a flip chart out and challenge people to say, well, <clears throat> how is Jesus identified in the Gospel of John uh, by people? And we get the pen out and we, we write down how many different ways in which the Lord Jesus Christ is identified. And it's interesting that just in this first chapter, um, th there are a number of ways in which Jesus is referred to. Uh, the first one of which is uh, the word made flesh in verse 14. And you can probably pick them out. Um, he's referred to as the Lamb of God um, twice by John. He's referred to in verse 34 as the Son of God. So immediately in chapter one, um, the, the gospel is introducing him to us as the Son of God um, in line with John chapter 20. Um, again, he is rabbi or master in verse 38. Um, he is the Messiah which we are informed is the Christ. So again, we're introduced to the concept of the Christ. He is um, the son of God again in verse 49, and then the king of Israel in, for, in verse 49 as well, identified by Nathaniel. And all the way through, there is this challenge to say, well, who is Jesus? Who do you understand him to be? And, and the concept of identity is immediately thrown at us when the, the group of um, the Jews in verse 19, the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask John, who art thou? So immediately this concept of identity is introduced to us. Who are you? Are you the Christ? Are you the prophet? Are you Elijah? And there's this constant theme that runs throughout um, the, the gospel to say, well, who are you? So the, the, the flow of the gospel is, is, is really centred around um, who, Jesus, who Jesus is. Um, and um, the gospel um, uses a, a phrase, after these things, and, and it's quite a pacey um, gospel. Um, the, the, the phrase, after these things, comes a, a number of times. Um, an example is uh, chapter 2, verse, verse 12. After these things... Um, he went down to Capernaum, um, and, and it's a phrase that's used by the by the apostle um, to to move the story along, almost to get us to where he wants us to be. And it, and it comes um, some seven or eight times through through the gospel. It's almost as if John's saying, "Right, we've dealt with that. Let's 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 move on." Um, just before we move on to the examples in chapters three, four, and five. It's interesting that uh, we get the, the first of the, the miracles, the first of the signs. And the consequence of this in introducing Jesus is um, we are told very specifically what the consequence is. Um, John chapter 2 and uh, verse 11. And remember what the, the key to the, the, the gospel is, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Um, and we are introduced to the reaction of the disciples. This beginning of miracles, John chapter two, verse 11, did Jesus in Cana of Galilee 
and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. So we get the example from the first miracle that this is what our reaction should be. This is what John is wanting from us as he takes us through the gospel. These things were done that we might believe. And the disciples are examples of that in chapter 2, verse 11. Okay, let's move on to these three examples of people that are asking, who is Jesus? We have three interactions with three different people. Um, The first is Nicodemus, who is a Jewish leader. The second is the woman at the well, who is a Samaritan woman uh, in chapter four. And then the third is the impotent man in chapter five. And these three examples really set the scene for um, us understanding what the gospel is about. Who is Jesus? Have we got it right? And is it impacting on us? John chapter three, then, um, and uh, Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to him by night. um, And Nicodemus is introduced to us as a ruler of the Jews. Um, Now, the phrase the Jews is is a, a very important one in the gospel of John. Um, I I would, if I could uh, interact with you, I would quiz you and say, um, how many times do you think the phrase the Jews comes in the Gospel of John? Now, if you were quick, you would uh, look in your concordance or look it up. Uh, And the answer is the phrase the Jews comes 63 times in the Gospel of John. Uh, Just by comparison, um, in the entirety of Matthew, Mark and Luke, the phrase the Jews only comes 16 times, okay? So the Jews is a very important concept or very important phrase in the Gospel of John. Um, uh, 20 of those happen around the the crucifixion, uh, the trial and crucifixion. But the Jews are a a group that the, the, the Apostle John picks up on and says, are you like these people? Have you decided like these people who Jesus is? Are you going to have the same reaction as the Jews or are you going to be like these other people um, that have made their choice? And Nicodemus is introduced to us as a ruler of the Jews. He is the archetypal one who represents this group. Um, In identity politics terms, he is um, our representative of the Jews. Uh, And he's also representative of um, the possibility of Uh, Jews deciding to believe. And we'll come on to that in the second part. But Nicodemus, um, introduced as a ruler of the Jews, comes to Jesus by night and says, we know, we know who you are. We know that thou art a teacher come from God. Whoever the we is, whether that's uh, the entirety of the Sanhedrin or a group within it or um, a smaller group of uh, Jews, we don't know, but there'd been a group of them that had decided that this must be the case. We know that thou art a teacher come from God. We have identified this already. Um, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. That they'd accepted the point that actually Jesus must have come from God, that they had identified him thus far. And, and this discussion that there is between uh, Nicodemus and the Lord Jesus Christ uh, really shows us that Nicodemus wasn't wanting to accept the consequence. He was an important man. Um, In verse uh, 10, the Lord Jesus Christ says, um, Art thou a master of Israel? Um, And uh, the the revised version, another modern version, say, Are you the teacher 
of Israel. So it's quite possible that he was the leader of the Sanhedrin at this point. So he was the theologian. He was the, the one who should have known. He was the one who had the responsibility to decide on who these people were. Were they prophets? Had they come from God? And, and Jesus says, well, if you're the teacher of Israel, how come you don't know these things? Art thou a teacher of Israel and knowest not these things? Um, if I have told you earthly things and ye believe not, verse 12, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Nicodemus was in a position where he was unwilling to accept the implication of knowing that Jesus was a, a man come from God. These miracles, he was unwilling to do what the disciples had done and believe. So who is Jesus? Well, he's a man that comes from God. What are you going to do about it? So Nicodemus, as a representative of the Jews at this point, we then move on in chapter four to an unlikely candidate for identifying Jesus correctly. And that is um, a Samaritan. And not only that, a Samaritan woman of all people. Um, and, and the Gospel of John really is really challenging readers, particularly Jewish readers and Jewish believers to say, can you do what this woman has done? Can you do what this Samaritan woman has done and accept who Jesus is? Um, you're familiar with the story of, of John chapter four, uh, of Jesus interacting with this woman as the disciples go into the city uh, and him offering her water um, that would um, give her life, uh, not just uh, ordinary water. Uh, John 4 verse 14, whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up to everlasting life. And again, that takes us, jumps us forward to John chapter 20. Uh, what's the purpose? The purpose of the gospel is that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. So this is what uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is, is offering to her. He's offering her life. And there's this discussion between Jesus and the woman. Uh, and the woman perceives in verse 19 that he is a prophet. So again, she identifies him as a prophet. Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Uh, then there's a, a further discussion. Um, and, and Jesus responds. And then verse 25 the woman says to him, I know that Messiah comes. So her mind has jumped now, not from uh, not just the prophet, but she's now thinking, oh, hang on. Is this the one? Is this man the Messiah? I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus says to her, I that speak unto thee am he. So Jesus gives her, her a nudge in the right direction. She said, he says, you're thinking along the right lines. Uh, I am he. Um, I am the one that you are thinking about. And now her response is quite, quite amazing. Um, the disciples come back and are amazed that he's talking with this woman uh, and this Samaritan woman. Uh, and the woman, the woman's response in verse 28 is to leave her water pot. Now, it's a little detail that you sort of think, well, why are we told that? The, the very purpose that she'd come for, she'd come for natural water. And what she does is she realises don't need that anymore. Uh, I'm going to leave my water pot that contains natural water because actually I found something better. And she identifies Jesus 
to other other people. The woman left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? So this woman, this Samaritan woman is being introduced to us, interacting with Jesus and identifying Jesus correctly as the Christ, just as we saw the disciples doing in chapter one. Um, Andrew finds Peter, Simon Peter and says, I found the Messiah, which being interpreted is Christ. And we get that refrain that we got twice in our reading. Come and see. Um, the Lord Jesus Christ says it to the disciples. Come and see in chapter one. Uh, and then it's said again by Philip to Nathaniel. Come and see. And, and this is what the woman is, is appealing Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? And this is what the gospel is doing for us. Come and see the Lord Jesus Christ. Come and see who he is. This is the man who is the son of God, the Christ. Uh, by comparison, um, the Samaritans who uh, believe because of the words of the woman, come and listen to Jesus. Um, in verse 39, many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman. So the woman's preaching is powerful, um, which she testified. And what was that testifying? Is not this the Christ? That's what she was, was telling them. So when the Samaritans would come to him in verse 40, they besought him that he would tarry with them. And he abode there two days and many more believed on his own word. So people are listening to the words of Jesus and believing who he is. And these are Samaritans. By comparison, the chapter informs us later on um, that Jesus is disappointed with the Jews when he comes back into Cana of Galilee. Jesus says unto them in verse 48, except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. So the difference between the Samaritans and the Jews here is the, the Samaritans were the ones that listened to the word and believed that he was the Christ. The Jews were unable to accept it unless they saw signs and wonders except the nobleman. The nobleman believed, verse 50, the word that Jesus had spoken. And this is what the gospel is asking us to do. Believe the words that are spoken by the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is he? He is the son of God, the Christ. So we've had a leader of the Jews who is uncertain. We get a, a Samaritan woman who identifies him correctly as the Messiah, as the Christ, and shares that information. And we then get John chapter five, which is, is quite a key um, chapter and quite a key interaction in terms of the rest of the gospel of John. And we get the impotent man, a man who would have been an outcast from the temple. Somebody, again, whose witness would not have been particularly powerful in ordinary terms. In John chapter five, and again, we know the story about the man who Jesus comes to and says in verse six, wilt thou be made whole? Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be whole? Um, and whole is a is a key verse in this. And again, we're introduced um, uh, to the Jews by comparison. Um, it's a feast of the Jews in, in verse one. And then in verse 10, the Jews, therefore, challenge the man who is cured. Um, it is the Sabbath day. It's not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. He answered them. Um, he that made me whole, the same, same said, take up thy bed and walk. Uh, then they asked him, what man is it that said unto thee, take up thy bed and walk? Or revised version, who is the man that said unto thee? And again, this is a question of identity. They want to know who it is. Who is he? 
Who has said to you that it's okay for you to carry your bed? And the man in verse 13, he that was healed, wist not who it was. The man couldn't identify who it was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. Now, there is a little interaction in verses, verse 14. Jesus comes and finds the man again and says, Behold, you are made whole. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come on thee. And the man's reaction is to say, I know who he is. I, I found out who he is. The Jews have asked, I'm going to go and tell them. Um, the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus that had made him whole. And, and it's this miracle um, in John chapter five, which is the beginning of the Jews full on persecution of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's this miracle um, that, that reverberates through the rest of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a defining moment in um, the challenge that Jesus is laying down to say, actually, I am able to say to this man, sin no more. I have made you whole and I have done it on the Sabbath day. Verse 16 tells us, therefore, did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. So this, this miracle is really key. And, and the Jews have now identified this man, Jesus, as somebody that they want to kill. Um, there's an interaction in, in John chapter five um, with Jesus uh, now saying, right, I'm giving you a challenge. I've, I've got witnesses to who I am. Uh, and the rest of John chapter five is really Jesus spelling out or the gospel spelling out for us that Jesus had powerful witness to who he was, that they were unwilling to accept. He was one that had brought them life. Verse 24, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word, which is what um, chapter four was about. He that heareth my word and consequence believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation but is passed from death unto life again that takes us forward to john chapter 20 what is the purpose of the gospel that you might believe that jesus is the christ the son of god and that believing you might have life through his name and jesus identifies five sets of witnesses here uh, in the rest of the chapter he identifies himself I can of my own self do nothing in verse 30. So he himself is, is a witness um, to who he is. He, his words speak loudly of, of who he is. And this is his claim. Uh, they'd already heard the witness of John in verse 32. There is another that beareth witness of me. And I know that the witness which he witnesseth of me is true. You sent unto John and he bear witness unto the truth. John had already declared this is the Lamb of God. This is the son of God. I bear record that this is the son of God. Jesus had been identified by John and, and they'd gone to John and, and all held John as a prophet. And yet they were unwilling to listen to his words. You know, verse 36, I've got a greater witness than that of John. For the works of the father hath given me to finish the same works that I do. Bear witness of me that the father hath sent me. Come on, I, I, I can do all of these things, but it's going to make no practical difference unless you believe. And then the father himself in verse 37, which hath sent me, hath borne witness of me. And finally, the, the real nail in the coffin for the Jews was that Moses himself um, bore witness in the things that he had written. Do you not think, uh, verse 45, 
that I will accuse you to the father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom you trust. For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. So Jesus had powerful witnesses to who he was, and yet they were unwilling to accept it. And it's at this point in the gospel narrative that Jesus starts to self-identify. Having had these three people of varying levels of success in terms of identifying Jesus, Jesus starts to self-identify. And it's at this point in chapter six, which is um, only a year before the crucifixion, at Passover time, the feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus begins to say, I am. Who am I? I am the bread of life. Chapter six, I am the light of the world. Chapter eight, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the true and living way. I am the true vine. And, and Jesus himself says, well, if you haven't got it, I'm going to tell you. These are all indications as to who I am. And it's interesting. It's John chapter six with its quite complicated um, introduction by Jesus to, to himself as the, the bread of life and many disciples finding it too difficult to accept this at the end of the chapter that we get the declaration by Peter of who Jesus is. Some people are unwilling to accept it. Some people are unable to take in what Jesus is saying and unable to hear the words and let it make a difference. Um, the end of chapter six, from that time, many of his disciples, so this is John chapter six, verse 66, many time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. They were unable to hear the words and accept them. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, will you go away also? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe, and this again echoes what we get in John chapter 20, um, uh, we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter had got it. Peter understood who Jesus was and he wasn't going anywhere because Jesus had the words of eternal life and believing you might have life through his name. Now, this is a declaration that, that um, uh, Peter makes here. And there's a similar declaration that, that Martha makes in John chapter 11. And it's almost as if the gospel is saying Jesus is self-identifying from chapter six all the way through up to chapter uh, chapter 15, where he talks about being the, the true vine. And it's punctuated by saying, actually, there are people who got this and for whom it made a difference. And yet the people misidentified Jesus as a king who was going to transform their world. Um, and again, it's interesting in John chapter six that it, this is the point at which they try and make him king. Uh, and Jesus is having none of it in, in chapter six. Uh, and just in uh, thinking about time, um, we'll, we'll move on from, G we'll come back to uh, Jesus being identified as, as wrongly as a king uh, at this point. And let's, let's just move on um, to um, John chapter uh, 15. Uh, John chapter 15, um, and we're in the, the throes of the Last Supper here. Uh, Jesus has identified himself as the, the last of the I ams. I am the true vine. My father is the husbandman at the beginning of chapter uh, 15. Um, and um, sorry, it's chapter, chapter 14. Um, 
it really begs the question, and um, you may think that I've, I've laboured the point slightly in terms of um, identifying Jesus, and I'm, I'm, it's impossible to, to deal with all of them. Um, there are lots of uh, markers to say people are trying to find out who Jesus was. Uh, John chapter 14. The interesting thing is um, that the disciples themselves had questions that they didn't really fully get it. Um, and, and it's quite important, I think, to understand um, and appreciate from the gospel that the disciples themselves were, were not perfect. They didn't grasp everything about the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, they knew certain amounts and they were confident that Jesus was the Christ, but they didn't understand it all. Um, John chapter uh, 14, and, and there's a series of questions from the disciples, and one of them is from Philip in chapter 8. Uh, sorry, in, in, in chapter 14, verse 8. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. It, it, that'll do for us. We, we want to see the Father. And Jesus says to them, have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? You, you don't really understand who I am. You, you're still of the mind of those in John chapter six that want to come and make me king. You don't really grasp what I have to do in order for things to uh, happen as it, as it should. He that hath seen me hath seen the father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Have I, have I been, not been transparent enough about who I am? I am trying to show to you who I am and show to you who the Father is. Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. And again, it's these two witnesses of the, the words and the works that need to be believed. Now, there's one of the disciples that I think gets a, um, a bad rap, um, if you like, for uh, being an unbeliever. And that is that is Thomas. Uh, and, and he's known as Doubting Thomas. And he has this little soubriquet that's attached to his name all the time. And, and he's the doubter. He's the one that doesn't really get it. He's the one that's unwilling to accept it. And yet I think Thomas is has an incredible faith and an incredible understanding of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. He, he's the one, for example, who says, well, let's go with him um, uh, in John chapter 11, when Jesus is, is waiting to go to, um, to see Lazarus. Well, let's go and die with him. I'm happy to do that. And when we come to John chapter 20, um, we come to the conclusion of the gospel and, and we get a phrase from um, from Thomas, which I, I think causes us quite a, a little bit of difficulty. Um, it's one of those ones where, where um, we are challenged by those who believe um, in uh, a trinity and, and we we try and avoid these words um, where Thomas, having met the Lord after his resurrection, having um, said, I'm, I won't believe until I put my hands in, in his side and in his hands. I won't believe. I'm not going to believe it. Um, and that's where we get his, his doubt from. He, he meets Jesus and he, we get this response in verse 28. Thomas says, answers Jesus from Jesus saying, be not faithless, but believing. Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God. 
Now, we, we struggle with this. I'm going to suggest to you that actually this shows a level of understanding by Thomas, um, which is quite remarkable. Um, and I'm going to suggest to you that actually this expresses Thomas's belief that Jesus is the son of God. Uh, and the reason I say that is I believe this is Thomas expressing his understanding of Psalm 110. Um, the, the little phrase, uh, um, my Lord, is, is the key. Um, you remember Psalm 110, verse one. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand until mine enemies become my foot, my, thy footstool. Uh, and I think the little phrase, my Lord, here is a reference to the, um, the second of those lords in uh, Psalm 110. So Psalm 110, verse one, the Lord, as in the father, said unto my Lord, David's Lord, um, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, the son. So in Psalm 110, you have two figures. You have God himself and David's Lord, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, being told that he would um, be given uh, his enemies. Now, it was a, a question that was being asked by Jesus and by people. How can David say that his Lord is also going to be David's son? And there was this question that the, the other Gospels pick up on. And Jesus answers, asks this question and says, well, what do you think? What do you make of this psalm? How can David's son be his Lord? And Psalm 110 is actually expressing the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is the son of God. The Lord said unto my Lord. And the reason David could call him Lord was because he was the son of God. He was David's son, but he was also David's Lord because he was the son of God. Now, I've explained that incredibly poorly, um, but I think they, that, that uh, Thomas is, is expressing his understanding of Jesus as the son of God based on his exposition of Psalm 110. And what he's done is he's, he's swapped the order. Um, he's basically saying, I know who you are. You are the son of God. You are the Lord in Psalm 110. You are David's son. You are the son of God. You are the son of our God. And, and I think he's, that's what he's doing. He's saying, my Lord and my God. And he's expressing his understanding of Psalm 110. And one of the reasons that I think that is because we really get the conclusion of the gospel here um, in John chapter 20. Jesus says unto Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. And what is it that people have believed that have not seen him? Well, the conclusion of the gospel, verse 31. These are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. And I think that's what Thomas is expressing. Thomas is expressing that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. He's the one from Psalm 110 that is, is going to rule and is going to be David's son. And that believing you might have life through his name. So Thomas is a, a courageous disciple, and that's what we're going to move on to um, in our second session, which I promise will be shorter. Um, but really, the, um, the, the second session is really, if we accept this is all about identifying Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, what difference does it make? And what we'll do is we'll revisit some of these, some of these characters and say, well, what difference does it make to them? Uh, and that's what the, the gospel.